We're actually going to be back in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, I'm excited to be able to continue to go through the word with you together. But before we dive in, uh, I just wanted to share real quickly on, on obviously the, the things that are going on, the virus in, in the world that's impacting us in so many ways. And uh, I think for us here in Southern California, unless the Lord graciously intervenes, uh, we know that they say it's going to get uh, worse. We're going to get hit hard here. And it might not just be the next couple of weeks. It might be longer than that. And so, um, like I shared last week, I want to encourage you, be prudent. Be prudent. Do be prudent. But do not be afraid. You know, I know most of you know this as Christians or watching this, uh, you know, this live stream. You know, we know that, that God is with us. Uh, but we need to continue to reinforce the fact that this hasn't changed God's plan for any of our lives. He's still sovereign over every single soul, over all sickness and suffering. And God is the one that determines the day of our departure. So none of this has changed any of God's plans in any of our lives. And so I pray that those truths would comfort us. But I also pray that those truths would, would call us and inspire us uh, to mean, just rise to the occasion. Uh, I think that, and like, kind of like Esther, you know, for such a time as this, God has us here and God is trying to rattle our cage. God is trying to bring a great awakening. You know, when you look at this pandemic, this virus that's going on, you know, some would compare it, you know, to uh, other epidemics, other flus, other things that have happened in church history or even throughout the world. And they might say, well, it's not as bad as those other things. But when you start looking at not just the numbers, but the names, and when you start hearing those individual stories, it, it just breaks your heart uh, when you hear these things that are going on. And so it's heavy upon us. It's novel. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. So there is this aspect where I think God is trying to wake us up. And so I was even thinking about this song by Keith Green uh, a long time ago. He sang that song. He said, the world is sleeping in the dark and the church just can't fight because we're asleep in the light. And I think there is a lot of that going on. I think that when we think about this as a church, you know, maybe God is calling us to deepen our relationship with him. Real quick, I want to share with you just five things before we dive into 1 Corinthians that I, that I think God wants to tell us. Number one, wake up. Wake up. As a church, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, how God has allowed this because he's wanting to speak louder to us sometimes you try to wake someone up and they won't and so you got to shake them you got to speak louder whatever um that's kind of what god is trying to do not that we're ever going to reach a place of perfection but we have to reach a place of surrender we have to reach a place when we're on our knees when we're on our face where we're you know being that you know that that husband that that dad that that son that friend that servant that we're called to be. And so number one, I just really encourage us if we're sleeping or slumbering that God would use this to wake us up. Number two, that we would look up. You know, Luke 21 and verse 28, it says, uh, when you see all these things happening, look up for your redemption draws near. 
Now, again, we don't know if now is the time. I was talking to a brother the other day, and he was telling me that, that in 2009 there was a prophecy that in about 10 years there would be a pandemic that would usher in the coming of the Lord. Now, again, uh, we don't know for sure. The Bible says that we test all prophecies. But when you hear that and then you kind of put these things together, when you look at Matthew 24, 7, how this would be a sign of the times, I think that we should be ready for the imminent return of the Lord. So wake up, church. Uh, look up, church. Number three is rise up. And uh, I was thinking about that passage in Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 10, where it's, uh, it's a really neat uh, passage. Song of Solomon is really a love story, and it represents God's love for the world. It represents Jesus' love for the church. And there in Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, rise up, my fair one, and come away. It's an invitation from God that if you're not a Christian, that if you don't know the Lord, that he's calling you to his love. He's calling you to be his bride. He's calling you to understand that you know, Jesus died for you on that cross. He paid for all your sins. They put him in a tomb. He, he, tomb. he rose again. And when you place your faith in Jesus, then it's like saying, yes, Lord, um, I will come away with you. As God invites you to himself, that's what this is all about. I know most of you are, are watching are, are probably Christians, and so I, I thank God for that. But just in case, there might be one person out there or two, and you're, someone told you about the live stream, and they shared it with you, and there you are, and you're in your home, and you're watching this, and you're hurting, and you're dying, and you don't know what would happen to you if you got this virus, or if something happened, or maybe you're in chains, and you're, you're addicted to things, or you don't want to live anymore, and the Lord has uh, brought you here because he's calling you to come to him. Just say, yes, Jesus, right here. You can say that in your, in your heart, in your home. Yes, Jesus, come into my life. And right there, the Lord will meet you. See, God is calling us to, to, as a church to wake up. He's calling us to look up. He's calling the world to, to rise up and, and to go with him. And, and, then, and even he's calling us to cheer up. You know, I was so blessed by what one of the brothers sent me in a text message the other day. I just kind of reached out to him, asked how he was doing, and he said, we're doing good, keeping calm. He said, thank you for the concern. And then this is what he said. He said, my wife and I have been praying and discussing the Bible. We've been doing this and most, uh, more, more than any other time. And he said, maybe more than ever. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if during this season of quarantine, when we're locked down, that in one sense we would grow up. How times of solitude can actually be spiritual. How isolation in this sense can be used for sanctification. You know, I was thinking about Paul when he was locked up and he wrote, you know, books of the Bible. Or maybe you're out there and you're a worship leader and you can, you know, maybe write some new songs. You know, Henry was talking about this thing we have. It's uh, offering, uh, hoping you guys will take advantage of it. Uh, it's called Zoom, where you can go in and you can download this software and hopefully we'll um, you know, open those doors to where you can take some classes and draw near you know, as a new believer or as a, someone who's married or maybe some of the other classes that we're going to offer. So you know, prayerfully, during this time, uh, we will grow. You know, someone sent me this, and I thought it was interesting, uh, and I want to read it to you. 
and, and just kind of challenging us as a church. Listen to what it says. It says, in, in three short months, just like he did with the plagues of Egypt, God has taken away so much of what we worship. God said, you want to worship athletes? I will shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I will shut down those centers. You want to worship actors? I will shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? I will shut down the economy. You don't want to go to church and worship me? Then I will make it where you can't go to church. They said, maybe we need a vaccine. Maybe we need more than a vaccine. Maybe we need to take this time of isolation from the distractions of the world and have a personal revival where we focus on the only thing in the world that really matters, and that is Jesus. Again, we go back and we keep going back to Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their lambs. And so uh, God is calling us to wake up, to look up, to rise up, to cheer up, and to grow up. And one of the ways that we'll be able to discover whether or not we're really there as far as growing as Christians is whether or not there is this thing in our life called love. And so we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and in verses 1 through 3, we saw the preeminence of love, um, how it doesn't matter you know, what the message or miracle or martyr is. If we're not motivated by love, then it profits us nothing. We're nothing. And we sound like a bunch of noise in God's ears. And that's the preeminence. That's how important it is. And then in verses 4 through 8, we talked about the particulars of love. And so I encourage you, you know, go through. Uh, uh, if you haven't heard the studies, maybe go back and review those things. But, but today we're going to get into the permanence of love and, uh, and how we see love lasts forever. Because notice what we read in verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And so, you know, I want to take it like the context of, of Corinth. We want to go back to there. But then we kind of want to come back to California in, in the end and apply it to our lives. You know, the Corinthians, they were so caught up, man, in other things. They were so caught up in the gifts of the Spirit. They're so caught up in those things that, you know, dazzled the tongues and, and the prophecies that would foretell the future or, or words of knowledge, you know, the secret knowledge. And they kind of liked that kind of stuff. And they were interested in that to the exclusion of love. And that's why uh, Paul here, he, he brings them back to that. We're going to see uh, in chapter 14, he says, it's okay to prophesy. It's okay to, you know, use your gifts and exercise the things that God has given to you. But it can't happen to the neglect of love. And he's going to say how, how love lasts forever. But these other things, understand, they're, they're only temporary. And we're going to see in the end that they're inferior. 
how at the end of the day, it's all about love. And so he mentions here in verse 8 that love never fails. It never ends. It lasts forever. Now that has to be taking place within our hearts, within the church, within marriages, within families, within friendships. When you don't see eye to eye, when you have enemies, that's when you're going to be tested the most. And he says, listen, we, we have to love. You know, I'll, I'll love you for, uh, forever. It's not just a special reason or season. It's for the, not even the rest of your life. I'll love you forever because love never fails. You know, if I were to ask you, hey, do you think that God will ever stop loving you? I think that you would probably say no. Most of us in our Bibles anyways. Well, that love lives inside of us. And that's why that love is to be reciprocated to others. And so Paul here, he's saying love, it, it never fails. It, it never ends. Once you become a Christian, you love God and others always. And so he then goes on, however, to compare it to the prophecies and, and the knowledge and all those kind of things. You see, the Corinthians were caught up in the gifts of tongues and words of knowledge and prophecies. Those were their priorities. But, but Paul is saying our priority must be love. And, and so we're back in Corinth. That's what they were caught up in. But now we come back to California. What are we caught up in? What captures our attention? You know, and like I, I read earlier, a lot of times it is all those other things. It is all the, the idols and the stars that we put up on a pedestal. It is the money and the, the things that money can buy to the neglect of relationships, to the neglect of loving God and loving others and loving our enemies. When in the end of the day, Jesus said in John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment that you love uh, one another as I have loved you. So you also ought to love one another by this. All will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. So it has to dominate our lives. And the Corinthians, they were all caught up in those other things. All that knowledge, all the prophecies, the, all the, the tongues. Um, right here, he says, they're going to vanish away. The, the day that Jesus comes, all that will vanish away. You know, when we Christians talk about the coming of anyone or anything, we immediately think of Christ, right? And, and here it says, when that which is, which is perfect comes notice again we read in verse 10 for when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away the the that which is perfect is in reference to jesus as a matter of fact there's a good parallel passage in first john chapter one in verse one through three it says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that, there's that word again, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so here, John talks about that which was from the beginning. 
And in the Greek language is that which we have touched and we can still feel him and that which we've, we've heard and we can still hear him. I mean, he's saying that, that, that one in reference to Jesus is the one that we declare to you so that you can have fellowship with us. And so when we look at this right here, we see that what Paul is saying is when Jesus returns, that these gifts, these prophecies, these words of knowledge, all that kind of stuff, tongues, it's then that they'll cease. They'll continue on. They're still happening today because we as a church, we need all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are some out there who teach that these gifts are no longer for today, but they're confused. They think this is in reference to the Bible. No, this is in reference to Jesus. And so until then, the gifts continue. But when Jesus comes, then those sign gifts will end. But love will continue. And here, it's kind of cool. Paul uses a human illustration in order to help us to see something that's very important. Notice in verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I become a man, I put away childish things. You know, things were a, a lot different when, when I was a child. The, the way I spoke, the words I used, the way I thought, you know, my understanding as a child was limited. And I don't know about you guys, uh, do you remember when you were a kid, how fun it was? And we used to just like pl to play all day, right? That was our life, right? Um, and maybe when we were younger, we, you know, we were, you know, hey, that's my toy. And there's just things about that, that as, as kids, you know, it happens. But then, you know, we grow up and our frame of mind should change. And uh, now we come to a place where we realize that there's a responsibility I have in society. It's not just fun and games any longer. We put away childish things. And I remember probably one of the pivotal uh decisions I had in my life was I used to be in a rock band believe it or not man I had long no I didn't have long hair I wanted to have all the other guys did um and uh anyways we played heavy metal music and uh I was pursuing that kind of just um I don't think I ever thought we were going to make it big but I wanted to have fun and party hardy right and then um you know the kind of a light turned on and it says hey you know, if you, you have to make a choice, you know, are you going to keep this big old uh, amplifier and guitar and, and are you going to allow it to consume your life or, or are you going to do what you got to do? And I think, you know, you, you have to go to school, you have to go to college. And I'll never forget, you know, I had to sell my stuff because otherwise it would have been a temptation for me and I had to make that decision to kind of grow up, right? And, and that's what Paul is saying here um, in one sense. Uh, yeah, it's in reference to when we go to heaven. Yes, it's in reference when we go to heaven. But there is an aspect where that has to shift now. It's like, Manny, grow up. It is time for you to love the way that I've called you to. You know, I know you might not be feeling it all the time. And I know there's that part of us. We still got this sin nature that is so very selfish but God is saying, you need to start thinking about others. You need to rise to your responsibility. You know, during this time of, of uh, this virus, I, I was going to encourage you to get a piece of paper and write down on that piece of paper who you are responsible for. Who are you responsible for? 
You know, for some of us, it's, it's really easy to see. If you're a husband, you have a wife. If you're a father, you have children. Uh, you might have others. I, I know some of us have, have parents. We have friends. You might be involved in a ministry. There are certain people that are, you are clearly responsible for. Question, are you praying for them? Question, are you making that love practical to them? See, when, when you're a child, you don't care. You just go, you live your life, you have your fun. You know, you're here, there, and everywhere. But when you grow up, this thing called love, it starts kicking in. And then you realize, hey, I have responsibilities. You know, I think of myself and I think of how God's called me to love Him. And probably the, the way or the greatest way I love Him is not by praying and reading the Bible and going to church, although those spiritual disciplines are important. Probably the greatest way that I love Him is by loving others. And the way that I love others, like I've shared with you before, it's got to begin with my wife. And it has to go to my kids. Those that God puts in my path. And, and all I'm saying is that, hey, as we come to this place, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you're so caught up in all this stuff, you know, that dazzles the church, when in all reality, you're neglecting the most important thing, the one thing that lasts forever. And that is to love one another. He's saying it's time to grow up. You know what Paul is talking about here is not just life over time. It's life after time. It's not just Christian maturity, although that is part of it. It's Christian eternity. And we're going to see it clearly here as we go to verse 12. It's in reference to heaven. You know, because notice what we read here in, in verse 12. He says, for... For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now this is a, a really fascinating section of scripture because it describes how we see ourselves as Christians, but it also describes how we see Christ. And so, you know, right here he says, but, but then when Jesus comes, when we're in glory, but then we'll see these things for what they really are. We're going to see it him face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know. Notice there in verse 12, just as I also am known. And so when prophecy and tongues and words of knowledge cease, it's then that we're going to see Christ face to face and we're going to know just as we are known. And so this is in reference to the coming of Christ. One day as Christians, when we die, this is one of the most amazing truths that one could ever, ever grasp is that we will see God. You know, Job chapter 19 and verse 26, he says, After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't know all the details of, of what it's going to be like in heaven, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him, think about that, as he is. We see the same thing taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
And so now we see ourselves dimly in, in the Bible. Uh, that's kind of our mirror in one sense. Corinth was famous for the bronze mirrors that they produced. And James in chapter 1 and verse 23 it describes the Bible as a mirror. And so, you know, when we uh, read the Bible, uh, we do see ourselves dimly. We see, hey, I got to comb my hair or floss my teeth or whatever, wash my face. There is that aspect of reading it and seeing ourselves now. But, but when we um, are in heaven, we're going to see everything clearly. We'll see ourselves clearly. And not only will we see ourselves, but we will see Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so it's interesting the way that, that Paul uh, just presents this whole thing. He's talking about how there's this growth. There's now we see ourselves here, but man, when we're in heaven, we're going to see the, the glory uh, of, of God. We're going to see ourselves in his image. And so he's saying to the Corinthians, don't get caught up or don't get stuck in all these things that are temporary. On the contrary, he says, let's get caught up in the things that are eternal you know for us it's this thing called love that we have to express to others this is what it's all about as i shared with you many times it's not where i breathe i live but where i love and so we read in the last verse in verse 13 it says and now abide faith hope love these three but the greatest of these is love and he kind of closes back to where he started huh how we talked about the the preeminence of love and at the same time we're talking about the permanence of love you know where to abide where to remain in he says faith hope and love and so you know don't stop believing don't ever stop believing in jesus that's faith and don't please don't ever stop hoping don't lose that hope for the future but we need to know that the greatest of these epic words is what paul says right here is this thing called love and it's not that love necessarily outlasts these words it's just that love um, it conquers these words how does it outrank them how does it you know you know trump these words and probably the best answer is because love alone makes us like God you see you know when you think about that that's God's attribute he's holy when Christ were holy but now in our response to him uh, he's called us to this life of love first John chapter 4 in verse 7 it says beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God See, and that's what happens when the Lord really comes into your life. You know, I was thinking about how when Jesus got, you know, um, was here and he was engaging and talking and dialoguing with the religious leaders of his day. And these guys were guys that knew the Bible so well. These guys were guys that would, you know, pray in the corners of the street and they'd blow trumpets and they would tell everybody about all the money that they gave. And, uh, you know, you're thinking about that that day that jesus was here 
But when he taught to them, he says, one thing I know about you guys is you don't have love. You don't have love. You lack the love of God. And so for us as Christians, uh, I think that what Paul is trying to do, and I think even for us today, is, is God is just trying to make it super, super clear that this is the calling on our life, that this is the fruit of the Spirit, so much more important than the gifts of the Spirit, so much more important than what the world says, hey, this is the, you know, what you've got to live for. No, it, it's about loving and not just loving those who love you. Uh, I wanted you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. In verse 43. Notice what Jesus said. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so faith is huge, hope is huge, but love, it, it outranks them. It doesn't outlast them, but outranks them. Why? Because this is what makes us like God. And, you know, for us as Christians, I know sometimes it's hard to love people even in the church because we're so different and I know that uh, sometimes people rub us the wrong way and so God is testing us on that whether or not our love is like his but then you go out into the world and I've seen it I've seen people who say they represent God and they hate other people and I wonder what's going on in their life you know we hate the sin but we must not hate the sinner because what what the Lord Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount is that if we just uh, uh, love those who love us, then we're just like the world. You know, we have to love even, he says in verse 44, our enemies. And so notice it says that we are to do good to them who hate us. And so prayerfully, you guys, uh, when we come back to 1 Corinthians 13 and we look at what we're reading right here, when, when John says regarding our love here in this uh, time, I pray that it would be something that we would just ask him, Lord, how do we do this? You know, some of the most difficult things in life are how do we connect the dots? Because we know it's not just a feeling that we have. We know it's an action, right? You know, I was thinking about how a, a lot of people are stepping up during this time and, man, giving away Things, giving away supplies, um, trying to be there for one another. Uh, there are ways that we need to express our love. Thank God for our police officers and uh, those in the medical profession who are running into danger as an expression of love. Um, even the other day, uh, doing a funeral, it was tough, to be honest, because during this social distancing and during such a tough time, 
uh, one of the, the ladies, uh, the daughter of the, the deceased, said it's difficult because we can't embrace. You know, and that, uh, such a tough time, but, you know, we have to go to these places and we have to be there for each other. And as Christians, especially during this time, my prayer is that we would shine with the love of Christ. You know, I was reading about how in uh, AD 165, uh, smallpox, there was a smallpox plague that killed one out of every three people in the Roman Empire. And then in 251, they say that there in Rome, 5,000 people were dying every day. Even the emperor died and the pagan priests, they fled. And so they said that in those days, if the smallpox didn't kill you, the hunger would. But it's interesting, when you read history, they find that the, the, the Christians were different. The Christians showed love. The Christians provided water and food and company. And they said that in those days, if you knew a Christian, then you knew someone you could count on. And that's where I pray now and forever that we would shine. One person said, seek to be on the forefront of good deeds, which should precede our words of good news. And so, Lord, uh, show us how to love in a tangible way. Now, I was thinking, if possible, you guys, here's a challenge that as we close for you who are Christians. Um, we're kind of shut in. We're in our quarantine, and we don't know how intense it's going to be. Uh, I was uh, hearing from some people in Chile, and they were saying that they can't even go out uh, for a walk anymore over there. And so uh, prayerfully, it doesn't reach that to that extent where, where we are. But as we're there and as we're in our homes, uh, maybe one way that we can express love is I want to challenge you this way. Um, as you're reaching out, number one, to those you're responsible for, that has to happen, you know, consistently. But maybe one of the things that we could do is ask the Lord by the Holy Spirit, Lord, maybe there'll be three people each day that I could reach out to. Because they say that if you go out into the world with the, uh, the virus, that you're going to infect three people. And so let's turn that around. Let's say, okay then, Lord, what I'll do each day as I'm praying and sensitive to the Holy Spirit is I'll reach out to three people. And you watch what God will do. In a time where we can't be together physically, and some might say, well, that'll do damage and that's going to separate us. Wouldn't it be cool if by the grace and love of God, the exact opposite happened and that although we're disconnected physically that we would be connected spiritually more than we ever have been and then when we come together you watch we're going to be a different church i know god's going to do a good work through this and for those of you who are christians um prayerfully we can answer that call we can surrender to him we can really take this opportunity to change and grow but if you're out there and you're not a Christian, my prayer is that you would come to Christ today and that you would just ask him to come into your heart. He loves you. He died for you. Just take that step of faith and just say, yes, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to come to you today.